<laughs> Man, okay, so I am so excited for the opportunity to share with you in this series. Just really quick, I want to put some emphasis on, on, on this, uh, that, that series, I can't do justice uh, to what uh, we're going to be going through in the book of Revelation. Not Revelations, Joel said it, Revelation, right? I can't do justice in, in the few minutes uh, the, that we have here, but uh, you'll be able to interact. We're going to have tables. I'm going to give you some of my notes, and we're going to have uh, going to do a little bit of a deep dive, and we're gonna even going to talk through the different interpretations of Revelation, and uh, I'm going to argue for my case, So, uh, but it's going to be a really good time, so if you can make it on Wednesday, uh, man, please try. Now, if you say, hey, I can make it for the majority of Wednesdays, but I can't make it for all of them, but Pastor Elijah, I like, I really want to get it. Just come and talk with me. We'll get you a Zoom link, uh, and then we'll be able to just kind of figure out something so that you can at least get a chance to be a part of uh, the series. Um, But if you show up once and want the Zoom link, we're cutting you off. All right, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. Uh, In this Strangers in Babylon series, living a life of faithful resistance, uh, I want to entitle this, this specific sermon today, You Are Not Alone. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? <clears throat> I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and in patient endurance that, I, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Lydosha. I turned around to see the voice uh, that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among those lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters." In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have been what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands in this. The seven stars are angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these moments that we have together. I pray even as we, we come to this uh, passage, to this book that you have given to us, Lord, that we would not have fear that would enter into our hearts, Lord. Lord, I know this is going to be a lot of information. Lord, I pray against us just holding it merely in our minds 
as head knowledge, but let it work its way into our hearts and then down into our hands and our feet that we may walk out what it is that you're communicating to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all about God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's funny, even as we started this series uh, today, I was already getting questions like, oh my God, like what is this going to be, Pastor Elijah? Somebody said to me after uh, first service, ah oh, man, thank you so much because I was a little nervous about what you're going to say. And I think we feel like that because Revelation, the book of Revelation can be a scary book. Right? It, it can be, sometimes it can feel like uh, it's hard to approach. Like, uh, show of hands, how many people here have read all of Revelation? Right? Awesome. About the same number as last service. After you got done with it, where, how many of you were like, I know exactly every word. I know what it means. I got it. I'm good. Right? Nobody. Right? It, it, can, be, it can be hard to approach. How many of you kind of go to Revelation when you think about it? There's a little bit of fear when it comes to that book. Anybody? Show of hands? Yeah. All right. For sure. When when I say uh, the word uh, apocalypse or revelation, just just kind of shout it out. What, What comes to mind to you? End of the world, zombies. Every service is always somebody says zombies. That's awesome. Anybody else? 666, exactly. I wonder, do do these images pop in your mind? This image right here, does this pop in your mind when you think about the end times? Revelation, right? Like most of us would would have that. How how about this one, right? This is like, uh, what is that? Independence Day with Will Smith, right? Welcome to Earth. You know what I mean? How, How many... Uh, if, if you were like me, grew up in the church, you probably grew up with this shaping your idea of Revelation, this movie. Does anybody remember this? Left Behind? Let me assure you, we will not be talking about this. <laughs> so everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. Kirk Cameron is not going to come in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're, we will not be diving into that. But what, what I want to do for us uh, during this series is I want to give you an actually an older vision of this book, right? I, I want you, I want to see if I can take you back to, to what the first century church, really all the way till about the, the 18th century, that most, most of them actually believed a, uh, around this, this work. And, 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 and I, I would venture to say that for the majority of us, this will be a different reading than you ever uh, have understood. First and foremost, the word apocalypse or apocaly- is, is, comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means simply this, to reveal. It doesn't mean zombies. It doesn't mean asteroids coming in and blowing up the earth, right? It doesn't mean Kirk Cameron running and fighting the Antichrist. It literally just means to reveal. What I just did to you, one scholar says it like this, what I just did to you is I just apocalypsed you. I just revealed new information to you. This book is literally just called uh, the book of John's Apocalypse. John's revelation, and that is what's happening here in the text. So, 
Uh, today is going to be a lot of heavy lifting. We're going to have a ton of notes. And just be prepared as you walk along this journey with us for the next seven weeks and eight weeks of Bible study is that we're just going to be diving into this text the best that we, the best that we can. So just stick with us. So everybody who comes and shares the platform with me and shares on this book, we're going to do this. We're going to frame the book of Revelation together, right? What I want to do is I want to give you some on-ramps because maybe you were never taught how to engage this book well. You were maybe your heart and your mind was shaped by movies or by Left Behind or Tim LaHaye or uh, Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth, like all those different ideas. Maybe those things are the ones that captured your mind. I'll talk a lot more about that this week, about how that idea of revelation actually only started in the 19th century, that nobody before the 19th century actually ever believed that. And so, so for, for us, in this time, we're going to dive into the text, and I want to give you some things that you can have some handles so that you can say, okay, this is what this book is about, okay? Here it is. The first thing, as we get into framing the book of Revelation, this is what I want to tell you. You might have grown up with a different interpretation. It is okay. Don't leave here. Don't go on, on, on Google and write some, you know, like, Pastor Elijah is not preaching my version of Revelation. That's not, that's not the case, right? Uh, basically, what, what I want to do for you, right, in my time of studying and learning, uh, I'm actually finishing my Master's of Arts in New Testament and will be getting, uh, in the next few years, my, my PhD with a New Testament focus. What, what I want to do is give you this, this I, th- these words, which I have just been working through, right, and have really spent a lot of time and read widely and give you the best interpretation that I believe that is faithful to the scriptures. It may be different than yours. That is okay. What I want you to do, like every sermon I preach, I don't want you to just say, yes, this is what Pastor Elijah said, that's great, and I'm done. I want you to go home, open your Bible, right? I want you to be good Bereans about the scriptures. Question everything. Pray to God and say, okay, Lord, is this true of your word? I am just a man. I am fallible, okay? So, so that is the first thing that I, I want us to understand. N- number two, this is what I want us to know, that revelation should challenge and stretch your Christian imagination, What I mean by Christian imagination is that this book is a ton of imagery and ideas and pictures and all these different things which are meant to get your mind going, right? It should should challenge your Christian imagination. It should call you to be faithful witnesses of Jesus and to stand firm as believers while considering where your allegiance lies. Does your allegiance lie to King Jesus or does does it lie with Caesar, Does your allegiance lie with the kingdom of God or does your allegiance lie with Babylon? And what you'll see as the weeks go on, we will talk about this idea of Babylon. And Babylon is this archetype that we see throughout scripture. And really this this book is trying to get us to say, okay, where do you stand? Will you be, will you live faithfully and resist what the enemy is trying to get you to, to, to understand, or will, will you be uh, faithful believers who will walk with Jesus? 
this really is probably the, the, in one sense, the thesis of the book of Revelation. The second thing I want us to understand is that, and you'll hear us say it over and over and over and over again, the book of Revelation cannot mean something different to us than it originally meant to them. I want you to hear me. The book of Revelation cannot mean something different to us than it meant to them. Okay? So when you see locusts in the the, the book of Revelation, it is not secretly talking about Apache helicopters. All right? That is not what it's talking about because that would not have made sense to the people back then. That is not how scripture works. Okay? It cannot mean something different to us than it originally meant uh, to them. How do we know this? And so this is the way that the book of Revelation starts. Let's say this is the book of Revelation, right? Like every letter, every letter starts off with what? A what? A starts with a G, a greeting. The greeting is to the seven churches. Can everybody see this? It's to the seven churches of where? Philadelphia, Sardis, Pergamum, Thyatira, right? It is to the seven churches. The book of Revelation is what is, is a circular letter, okay? It is not segmented in pieces, right? It doesn't start off with like, hey, here is uh, the, 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 the introduction of a letter, and this is the seven churches. Okay, now we're done with that. Now we're going to talk about in the middle uh, this like weird tribulation stuff or whatever, and then at the end we'll talk about Jesus coming back. There's a misreading of scripture. There's nobody who would write a letter like that. If I'm writing a Dear John letter, and then I say like, hey, Dear John, it's nice to meet you, da-da-da. Hey, um, when I was talking to, you know, John, whatever, we were talking about cars, whatever, and I just stopped talking to him in the letter. Would that make sense? No one would write that. We have to understand what Revelation is and what it is not. Number one, it is apocalyptic. It is apocalyptic. What did we just say apocalypse means? Apocalypse in the in original language means what? To reveal, right? That means it is revelatory. It is revelatory language. It is what it's literally doing. It is pulling back the curtain on what is happening behind the scenes in the supernatural world. So it is apocalyptic in nature. It is a letter. It is a letter to the seven churches. And it is prophetic. This brings me to to my third point. The number seven is the number of completion and represents all the churches, not just there and then, but all the churches throughout uh, all of time and space. Does that make sense? So so the, the number seven, when it comes to the churches, doesn't just mean the church in the first century, which John is writing to, right, or the second or the third, but also the 21st. It is, it is an archetype of every church that will ever be saying that you will always face problems like this. But take heart, because this book is a book of encouragement. It is a book of encouragement. So when we say circular, that means all of revelation is to this church, to them then, to us now. It cannot mean something different to us than it meant to them. 
is a book to encourage us that there are similar trials throughout history that we will face. But be encouraged. It is, that's why it makes it prophetic. Because it speaks to all of us, then and now. Does that make sense? Are you with me? All right. So, as we continue, here's the big thing. The book of Revelation was meant to be read aloud. See, here's, here's, here's the thing for us. When we come to this book with fear and trepidation in our hearts, it's most of the time because we've missed what is trying to happen in this book. Literally, in the first three verses, what does it tell us? Blessed is he who reads aloud this book or who hears it. Why is it saying that? Because it's meant to be to, ha- to encourage us. If we start off reading this book with fear in our hearts, we've missed the thesis, the beginning of the book. It's a book of encouragement. It's supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to say, yes, evil is in the world, but God is in control. How do we know that? Well, let's dive into the context of the first century at that time. Most scholars believe that the emperor at that time, his name was Domitian, who was ruling. And he was especially cruel to Christians in his time. That if you're a believer and you're you a follower of Jesus, you could, you could be arrested for just saying, Jesus is God. No, no Christian which was brought to trial would escape punishment unless they renounced their faith and swore allegiance to Caesar. Punishment was usually death, and death in a cruel way. How do we know? Well, we have records that, that uh, Caesar, and, and, uh, Domitian, and all those rulers at the time, what they would do is they would uh, grab Christians and they would uh, sew um, animal skins around them. And they would throw them into the arena with wild animals. And as they drank wine and ate food, they washed as, a lot, as wild animals literally ripped apart these people who said, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. This is the context of what is happening as John is taken up into the heaven. And I I want you to understand this. Jesus uh, gives John and he says, I want you to be encouraged and to encourage my church. I want you to encourage my church on how to live faithfully to me in times of peril. Because fear has a way of doing funny things, doesn't it? Fear causes us to run, to to quit, to be impatient, to to get defensive, to divide and isolate ourselves from others and uh, that we we do not like, and sometimes even from those that we love. We start fights on social media or in, in person in order to protect ourselves and our identity and who we are here. John reminds us that we are not alone. In this world that is filled with chaos, we are not alone. That God is with us. That Christ has won. You see, John wasn't saying this from his cushy couch, uh, right, as, as the church is like uh, being torn to pieces in arenas and being hunted down. No, no, John 
fully knew what this world looked like. In fact, church tradition tells us that the reason why John ends up at the Isle of Patmos is because they were trying to kill John and they failed. One record uh, tells us that they tried to dip John in boiling oil alive and he came out unscathed and so they finally just said, let's banish him off to Patmos. That's why we find him here. See, John under fully understands what is happening in his day and time. I think for us today, as we're hearing all this crazy stuff that is happening in the world, that there's chaos in the world, that there's bombs going off, and, and, and you're hearing, and the news kind of can get you in this frenzy, and what, is, what happens if this happens, and, and that happens, and, and you're hearing in the news these, these uh, so-called scholars, which are like, and so the Russia will come in, and it will be the bear, and da-da-da-da-da, and this is what revelation means. And then the great eagle from the West, let me just stop, and I didn't get a chance to say this in the last service. Guys, it cannot mean something different to us that it did not mean to them. This might be a shock. America is not in the Bible. <laughs> okay? It is not in the Bible. The biblical uh, story is not centered around America. All right? It's centered around Jesus and his children. And so while, while we are afraid and we're feeling the chaos because there is something around us, right, that comes in and says we need answers for these questions that we have as all this stuff is swirling around us. I love the way Richard Bauckham, who is uh, a scholar which I'll be using all throughout this series, uh, the foremost scholar actually in in, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation, this is what he writes. He says, the righteous suffer, the wicked flourish. The world seems to be ruled by evil, not by God. Where is God's kingdom? Especially in the political evil of the oppression of God's faithful people by the great pagan empires. The answer to this problem was always essentially that despite appearances, it is God who rules his creation. And the time is coming soon when he will overthrow the evil empires and establish his kingdom. This is not a book to be afraid of. This is a book of encouragement. That God is actually the one that is in control. That is, God has, has won the battle. And the battle was not going to be won uh, later on, but it was won on the cross. And here, as the victor speaks these words of encouragement from his own lips, here it is, and verse 5 through 9 in Revelation 1, 5 through 9, this is what he says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who, what? Loves us and has freed us from our sins by his what? Blood. And he, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest, to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What does amen mean? Let it be so. 
Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the people on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be what? Let it be so. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who, was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are, that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Guys, be encouraged. John is saying, I know what you're going through. I am here, right here. Because of that same thing. Be encouraged. See, John reminds them that he was caught up on the Lord's day, and though they may be suffering, there's something so much larger at work. And he pulls back the picture in this apocalyptic prophetic letter to the church and says, God is in control. So while you are in fear and while you are suffering, do not stop partner in your suffering. He says to them, while you may feel alone, you are not alone. While it may feel like, like Babylon is in control, the Roman Empire is in control, no, 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 the kingdom of God is in control. Set your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on the one that has won it all. How, how do we know? Let's, let's jump to verse 12 through 17. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw the golden lampstand. And among the lampstand was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Can I pause for a second and just say about this verse, maybe what some other preachers wouldn't say? That sounds crazy, right? Like, I mean, just envision in your mind this picture of Jesus. No wonder why people get scared when they look at this book. Like, can we just be honest? Swords coming out of people's mouths? Eyes of, eyes of fire? In fact, I was looking up some pictures, some imagery of like what some artist's depiction of what this could be when we have too, too much of a literal approach to this book. Right? And check this out. This is one of the pictures that came up. Isn't that crazy? That's like a cartoon or something. He's like powering up. Like that is, that seems like just a weird picture. And then I love there's some kids who got involved. Like, and I love how they didn't make all seven stars. They just put a star and then times seven. Like, you know what I mean? The kid was judicious. If we take too much of a literal approach, we miss the greater meaning here. 
that John is trying to call us to understand. If we would just slow down and hear his words, the words that he is literally echoing to us from our Lord and Savior Jesus. He is saying that standing in the middle of his churches is Jesus. Standing in the middle of this church is Jesus. He is not absent-minded or caught off guard by the evil that is happening in the world. God's, uh, Jesus' ears are not deaf to, to not be able to hear the cries of his people as they're pleading, Jesus, what is going on? I am afraid. Is this the end? Will this chaos never stop? When will we stop hearing about senseless violence and murders in our community? God, when will we start hearing about wars? Jesus hears those words. And he says, I am aware. And next week, we'll, we'll talk about this. Not only is he aware about the evil that is happening in the church, he is aware about what is happening, I mean, outside the church, but he's also aware about what's happening inside of the church. And he cares. Scripture tells us that he stands among the lampstands. The lampstand represents the church. And so you might be in this place right now and you might feel alone in this season. This is what I want to say to you. Take heart. Jesus stands next to you. You might feel anxiety in your heart with all the political uh, landscape and the economy that's a mess and, and uh, wars going on right now and will I lose my job and, and what is going to happen and what is tomorrow going to bring? Am I going to be able to buy $10 worth of eggs? Eggs are so expensive. Jesus says, take heart. I stand next to you. You might feel like you're consistently being turned upside down by all that life has thrown your way. Maybe it is sickness. Maybe it's a family member that's gone astray. Jesus says, take heart. I stand next to you. We are reminded by Jesus' words in Hebrew chapter 13 verse 5. He says, I will never leave you or this is not a book to be afraid, but it is one to be to encourage us that the one who holds the stars in his hands is aware and he stands by us and he says, take heart. Do not be afraid. So let's go back to this picture, right? Let's look at what John is really saying as he gives us this picture of this great Jesus who, who, who has this, this imagery and is trying to stretch our imagination to understand that Jesus is so much bigger than all the chaos that is around us and within us. This is what it is. Jesus' gold sash and long robe represents the position and authority, his position and authority as king. His white hair and flaming eyes represent his purity and holiness. That he is able to look at you and see what is happening that we cannot use our words and lie. You, you can come to me and I, when I say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Pastor Elijah, I'm blessed and highly favored. But inside you are hurting Jesus in this moment. What John is trying to describe is a Jesus who can see past that. He can see what's happening here. 
His voice like thunder represents his commanding presence that there is nothing outside his influence or control. We talk about it here from Dallas Willard, the famous professor, who says it like this, the kingdom of God is where where God wants to happen, happens. He is sovereign. He is king. There is nothing that is outside his purview. If he says it, it will be done. The sword coming out of his mouth represents the power of his words that are the greatest weapon. How, how do we know that? Well, let's, let's look back at another passage of scripture. Remember as Jesus is in the desert and he's tempted by uh, the devil. What does he use? Does he, does he use his fists? Is there some type of like uh, Star Wars light show that starts to happen between him and the devil? No. He uses his words. The word of God, the the scriptures tell us that that the word of the Lord is sharper than any two-edged sword. Can Can you see how John is trying to bring us into this picture? When we read it carefully, we see what, what, what the scriptures are trying to get us to. It is not this weird, crazy picture that should make us afraid, but it should encourage us that it is God's words that have control. It is his words that can cast out demons. It is his words that can make storms to stand still in your life. It is his words that can call a dead man to rise. It is his words that can speak when there is nothing and create something. It is God's words that are in control today, and we should not be afraid by what is happening on the outside because we have the God who holds the stars in his hands. The overall point is that Christ is the priestly ruler over everything. Not only the church, but all the heavens. That is encouraging. We should not be afraid. And not only is Christ the, the, the ruler of all those things, but that those of us in the church, remember, what does he say, right? Like he stands among the church and his messengers. That I don't get to act a fool, and we see some of these pastors which act foolishly or leaders in the church or elders in the church that act foolishly as if they can get away with stuff, abusing people, uh, acting in weird ways. And God says, I am standing and I am aware and I will judge. That that's how much God cares for his church. John recognizes that. Because as we go to the scripture, what does John say? John, you know the the apostle John. I I believe some scholars don't believe that this was uh, the apostle John. I believe it is because church tradition tends to lead us that way. But John, the the disciple who Jesus loved, (laughs) the one who, who would lay his head on his bosom, the youngest of the disciples, turns and he sees this image of this great God. And the Bible says all he could do is his his knees gave out on him and his face plunges on the ground because he is overwhelmed by who God is, who Jesus is. And what does God say? He puts his hand on him and says, do not be afraid. This is not for you to fear, John. This is for you to be what? Encourage. You are to be encouraged. 
So, so tell my church, remain faithful to, to keep up the good work, to avoid compromise, because in every age there will be times when the church may compromise. When the culture wants to come in and say, hey, well, this is what it is, and we stand strong. This is what was happening in the church. That they were compromising, they were saying, hey, will you give in to the rough rule of Caesar, or will you hang on and be faithful, live faithfully and resist Babylon? This is what is trying to communicate to us. Avoid compromise. And don't just have a perspective about today. Have an eternal perspective that Christ is in control. So, what would Jesus say to us today, Overflow Church? Worship team, you can come up. As the world is filled with chaos, the, the, the country uh, becomes more and more polarized and f- with fear and more and more uh, terror and wars and all these different things looms over our head. And when we come to this book and we're pleading, right, God, would you, would you give us encouragement? What, would, what is Jesus saying to us as we come to this book? This is what I think. That's what I think he's saying to us. Keep up the good work. Keep loving one another. Don't get caught up in the mindless arguments of today. Serve one another. Don't be selfish. I think Jesus is saying to us, pray, laugh, love, cry, be together, endure together. You are my brother and my sister. Weep, take joy. Today, after service, I'm going to be going and visiting one of our, our, um, our sisters here in the church. And uh, she had surgery not too long ago, and her surgery got infected. Her name, Yogi Marshall, you guys know her. I love Yogi so much. So she, we were supposed to have coffee on Friday, and I went to the house, and I couldn't, I didn't get a chance, and I didn't know what was going on, and I got a call the other day from her husband, Larry, and so I'm going to run over there after service, and I'm just going to be with her, because I think this is what Jesus is saying in Revelation. Be together. As chaos surrounds, be together, share the gospel with those who are far away, enlarge your perspective. My kingdom is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. So what's he saying to you? What's he saying to you individually? How is God calling you to live in the space of joy, to live faithfully? In perilous times, how will you live knowing that you are not alone? Instead of us worrying about secret codes, instead of us worrying about what the mark of the beast is, instead of us worrying about who the Antichrist is, what if Jesus is telling us to be faithful to Jesus? Because none of that matters. Because Jesus sits on his throne. What if that's what Jesus is calling us to? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
I want to pray this prayer that was prayed over the church in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In Jesus' name, amen.